Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Joining us now for our international news reviews, Steve Oaken. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Happy fourth anniversary. I, I, I think I've been on for all four years, starting with Jason. So great to keep uh, great to keep the tradition going. You yeah. and I, Steve, are the originals. You we are, are originals. The, uh, we are the true OGs. Yeah. The imposters. No, it's it's. We've been there from the start, my friend. Couldn't have done it without you and our fellow monkeys. Great was, shirt, by I the way. I was actually an original fill-in for Jason. So there. You so, was. I'm just a permanent. If we have to keep one upping each other, it's going to get really boring. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Steve, we got lots to talk about. The U.S. Supreme Court justice announced he is stepping down. Uh, Stephen Breyer, that's going to leave an opening for Joe Biden. Um, how important is this at this moment in uh, presidential politics uh, for Biden to have a, a pick for the Supreme Court? It's, it's incredibly important, and, and it used to not be the case until you know, roughly for the first 180 or so years of, of the United States, a president would pick whoever was considered to be the best, most prominent you know, judge uh, and, and elevate them to the Supreme Court. It didn't matter about ideology. It didn't matter about party. It was about get the best person. And so you had people like you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes and, and Louis Brandeis and John Marshall, I mean, titans. And, and now, and in, in really starting in the 80s, it's all become about politics and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so now, you know, Republicans will only pick Republicans. Democrats will only pick Democrats. And so it's critically important that Democrats to a to a Democrat get to nominate a Democrat or somebody who, who you know, fits in with their view. So hugely important for the Democratic Party and Joe Biden. And the symbolism, I mean, uh, nominating a black woman, will that resonate with the American people? Well, it will. It should. I mean, it's important. There's, you know, in the history of the country, there has never been a, a black woman justice. There have been, you know, Thurgood Marshall and, and, and was the first black justice and Clarence Thomas II. So we've had two men. We've had a number of women, um, starting with Sandra Day O'Connor in the 80s. But this is the first time we'll have had a black woman justice. So it's, it's important for the country. It's, it's certainly important uh, for the party. It's important to have that diversity if he chooses uh, one of the candidates who's, who's considered to be the front, front runner. She's also a former public defender, which brings a different perspective to the court that's much needed. So, yeah, it, it is very important, I think, to the country. And it certainly is to the Democratic Party that, that a, a qualified black woman who brings a different perspective gets elevated to the, to the highest court. In the land. What would you expect would be the pushback from Republicans on this uh, nomination that we, we don't know for sure who the nominee is going to be yet, but what we're expecting? Look, I mean, the the when the, the, the front runner, uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson, a, uh, an appellate court justice. Now, she was approved for that position, fifty three, forty four. So she has gotten Republican votes already um, to be to be a judge. So it'll be kind of hard to see how they would object in, unless, you know, this is something that the, the Republicans say we can only have people on the court who agree with us on eliminating Roe v. Wade and putting the issue of, of abortion back to the states, of not looking at voting rights and putting that issue back to the states. So Republicans can object because it's not somebody who they will who who, who they think will rule in their favor. Hmm. And Democrats do the same thing now. So but this person, whoever President Biden nominates with the Senate that's 50-50, 
will get confirmed and, and probably will pick up a couple of Republican votes. Fantastic. Moving a bit closer to home, Steve, this story now fascinates me. There's been several written this week about the so-called exodus from Hong Kong to Singapore of foreign talent, expatriates, but also similarly, we're leaving. There's, there's stories about expatriates leaving Singapore. So literally, are we coming or are we going? Uh, if you look at the story in uh, the Straits Times, the Bank of America is looking at moving staff from Hong Kong to Singapore due to partially due to the territory's zero COVID-19 approach. But on the flip side, another story this week I read in Reuters, expats are leaving Singapore in record numbers. Where are we? Oh, we're clearly in one direction. The exodus from Hong Kong to Singapore is well underway. It's not coming. Mm. It is well underway. And it's underway for the primary reason that, you know, when when I started coming to to Asia in the 90s, Hong Kong was a global city and Singapore was a regional city. Mm -hmm. Today, Singapore is a global city and Hong Kong has become a Chinese city. Mm. And so businesses need to have their regional hubs in a in a global center ideally if not at least a a pan regional center so hong kong's always going to re- remain important but when you need to have that regional presence when you need to be able to travel everywhere you where you need to be able to have people coming in and out freely that is going to be singapore and businesses are coming here and this is not a western you're, phenomenon. You are having Chinese businesses, which need to have a global presence, are coming to Singapore, the same as Western businesses are coming to Singapore. There are going to be a few expats who are, you know, don't like the travel restrictions, who've come here because they need to travel and they're not able to do that. They're going home. It's not like they're going to Hong Kong or they're going to KL or they're going to Bangkok. They're going back to where they came from. But the people who are coming in, the businesses who are coming in, it's, it's coming into Singapore. And if you're not already coming to Singapore, you are behind those who have already started to set up from all over the world here. Yeah. Steve, an interesting stat in that Reuters story this week, um, the number of employment pass holders in Singapore, not Hong Kong, the number of employment pass holders or professionals earning at least $4,500 uh, sing a month fell nearly 14% mm. from uh, December of 2019 to uh, June of 2021, and I assume that number has still continued to decline at some rate. So we're we're looking at uh, some fairly big drops, and some of it surely is COVID related. Um, there have been challenges with the government policy toward uh, foreign uh, EPs and pass holders, etc., uh, over the last uh, couple of years. So. If we just look at Singapore in isolation, um, I think we all have stories of friends and colleagues we know that have left for a variety of reasons. What are you seeing from just the Singapore side of it? Uh, well, and then it's the thing, Glenn, you can't look at it in isolation. Everything you have to look at it. Rel- everything's relative. Yeah. And yeah, Singapore has restrictions on on employment passes. It has some restrictions on travel. It's nothing like Hong Kong. And nothing at all like Hong Kong. And and that's why Singapore is, is growing so fast. And what you're seeing because of those restrictions that are here, some naturally, some artificial. I mean, the, the Singapore government could increase the number of employment passes if, if it wanted to. It, it, it hasn't. Um, but there are caps in how many houses there are. There are caps in how many spaces there are in international schools. And the challenge now of, of getting talent here, 
getting, you know, from a livelihood perspective, where you're going to live, where your kid's going to go to school, if you're a foreigner, is tough. And the businesses that, that certainly I'm speaking to now who are coming in or wanting to come in are having a much different difficult time than those who came in even just a year ago. Um, and so the, the rush is on. No question about it. Just very briefly, though, Steve, is it an either-or scenario, Hong Kong, Singapore? I mean, as Glenn mentions, that feature there, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence of people going to Dubai, heading towards Middle East, supposedly more accommodating. The time zone, time zone is more beneficial, arguably, to people from Europe, Northern Europe. I mean, so no is personal it, income tax. Yeah, uh, so it's not just a Hong yeah. Kong or Singapore scenario here, is there? There are options in the Middle East as well. I mean, I mean, I think maybe Neil on the margins, but right. if if you are running an Asia hub, you need to be, I think, in Asia. What is happening? What's going on? What are the conferences that are taking place where people are coming, you know, in and out all the time? They're not coming in and out of, of Dubai all the time to talk about Asia, yeah. right? mm. but they are coming in and out of Singapore all the time, you know. And and you have great conferences here annually. You have Milken. You have you know, the, the Shangri-La dialogue and all that IISS does. And you have so you know, you have Bloomberg. I mean, yeah. that's all happening here. People need to be here. Mm-hmm. And it is why you are getting those headlines of, you know, Bank of America moving people here. And then there's a lot of people who are coming here that they don't want those headlines because they don't want to be seen as choosing Singapore over China. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming here quietly, but they are still coming here. So what you're reading is is only at the surface. What is happening is much deeper, um, and it is it, it is becoming much more challenging for businesses to to come here and get the talent that they need. And Dubai doesn't have Money FM. Oh, so, there you go. You know, there you go. What else? Can Although I they can listen to us on the audio, they can app. and they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Our last uh, second to last story today: is Ukraine geopolitics, a front and center in Europe. Um, the uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov just said, "We don't want war." Yesterday, uh, we were not pushing for it, and we will do whatever we can to not have war in Ukraine, especially with uh, against the U.S. and uh, uh, Ukraine and allies. Um, the Biden administration has been warned now for more than a week of a distinct possibility of a Russian invasion into Ukraine. Uh, it's a uh, back and forth, back and forth, but it seems to have maybe backed off a little bit in the last few days. Am I interpreting that correctly in terms of the threat of war? Well, I mean, the, the problem here, Glenn, is nobody knows anything because it's all contingent on one person. It's what does Putin do? Right. And and Putin is going to make up his own mind. And he's very hard, if not impossible, to predict. I mean, ask the people of Chechnya, ask the people of Georgia, ask the people of Crimea uh, if they think that Putin is going to mm. back down and it is not serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just impossible to know. And and that's what makes the, the, the Ukraine position so, you know, so tenuous um, and so up in the air. And then you also have uh, a, a United States, which is really opposed, generally speaking, of getting involved in, in Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump has changed the perception for a lot of people that Russia is not the bad guy right, anymore. So there are a lot of Americans who have taken Trump's four years of, you know, how, you know, that, that Russia is not the enemy. It, it, Russia is not a, a, a concern for the United States. Um, and then you have the, the situation, you know, the, ne- the forever war that, that is no longer going on in Afghanistan. So the, the U.S. Is, is, is got challenges in terms of how strong is it going to go. Germany has different economic interests when it comes to Ukraine and Russia than does the rest of, of, of Europe to a large degree because of, of, of natural gas flows and pipelines. 
So it's a just up in the air situation. Well, it is Chinese New Year, Steve. So let's finish with something a little bit more upbeat. And one of my favourite stories of the week, a striking a blow for the common man, Neil Young, who I am actually named after, by the way, Neil Young, because my mum loved, uh, what was the song? I'll think of it in a minute. We go through this every year. Every time we talk about it. I am named after Neil Young. And Neil Young has fought back Russ, against... Russ never sleeps. No, wait. No, it's the fields of, fields of gold. Fields of, it'll come to me in a minute. Uh, heart of gold. Heart of gold. There we go. Uh, Neil Young has fought back against the big boys of Spotify, demanded that his music be taken down. Great story. Tell us why. Well, I thought you were going to say old man, but then I realized it would have been Glenn who would have been named oh, after that song. You're, you're right there with me, Steve. So, uh, be careful about that. I'm the, I'm, I'm the, young, I'm punk. You. I'm the young punk here. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're the Gen Xers, Neil. Remember okay, got to go, Steve. So, <laughs> remember about Neil Young. Neil Young is is authentic, right? Neil Young did protest songs about you know, about Vietnam, about Richard Nixon. I mean, Neil Young is, is a true believer yeah. and what happened in, in his causes. And, and what happened was, you know, Spotify has given a hundred million dollars to Joe Rogan, which is the most popular podcast on Spotify. They have a huge, massive investment. Mm. Joe Rogan has, can on his show spouse uh, has, has views spousing out that are, you know, anti-vax, that, that, that are not based in science when it comes to COVID. It's a lot of disinformation. And Neil Young said to Spotify, you can have Young or you can have Rogan, but you can't have both. Mm. And Spotify said, Rogan. Sticking with Rogan <laughs> so for Neil now. Young said, yeah. Neil Young said, I don't care how much money it costs me. 60% of my, of, of my downloads are from Spotify, but I don't care because I'm sticking up for my principles. Interesting. Uh, and Spotify came back and said, which I thought was a little disingenuous, said, well, we've taken down 20,000 podcast episodes that, that are, you know, COVID disinformation, but they're not taking down, the, of course, the most popular and most influential ones because right. that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And so Neil Young's sticking up for, for his views as he's done since Woodstock and, and beyond. I'm only named after the best. <laughs> Heart of gold, man. Steve, Heart of gold. Thank you very much uh, for your time today, Steve. we got to leave it there. Gong si chai. Have a great uh, Chinese New Year. We'll see you next week. Great. Thanks, Steve. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.